And you're very welcome along to a special out of season slash the season never stops uh, OTB NFL show. Kim Fai is in studio en route to uh, somewhere nice. Uh, it's Boston. It's snow. It's wet. It's rain. Yeah. It'll still be nice though. We only ever get Keen in the studio when he's on his way to the States, so it turns out you go to the States quite a lot. It's a stop. Like, there's not good times and flights for me to go from Dublin. I have to go in the morning, so I have to come up the day before. It's just, it works out. I'm happy to come in and talk about free agency and the draft and well, everything we, else. We, we, uh, we were a bit lazy, slash uh, had a bit of a studio crisis and didn't actually do our post-Super Bowl um, review. It strikes me that um, the rest of world sport is stupid, that they all have this belief in their philosophy and their systems, when actually Bill Belichick is like, I just know how football works and I'm going to beat whatever it is you try and do, while also evolving on the basis of where you're weak. Yeah, a big part of Bill Belichick's genius is everyone else being kind of dumb. And I know it's, it's kind of a harsh thing to say. I don't, think, I don't necessarily think that was the reason for that game. I think Goff played awfully. I think that game as a whole was just a major disappointment for everyone who watched it. I know I was in New York watching it and we were at this big Super Bowl party and literally by halftime the place had half emptied because the game was just that bad. Low scoring Super Bowl, is it ever or in yeah. whatever length of time. 50. Belichick had a phenomenal game plan. He did everything right. He used Stefan Gilmore properly. They had the pass. The pass rush was really good. The right side of the Rams offensive line is a big question mark. But it really came down to Todd Gurley wasn't 100% fit, and now we're getting the inevitable reports we all knew were coming. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had Todd Gurley was way, way more hurt than anyone knew, even though we all knew he was really, really hurt. CJ Anderson came out on TV last week and said that. And without Todd Gurley, that offense is just, it's very easy to uh, react to because it's built in very simple uh, routes. Generally, you've got, you've got a hard play fake, and you've got one receiver, Brandon Cooks, normally going deep, Robert Woods coming on the crossing route. So Robert Woods is working the intermediate, Brandon Cooks is working deep. If you want to check it down to Cooper Cup, who obviously wasn't playing because he was hurt at that point of the year, so it was uh, Josh Reynolds, or if you want to check it down to a tight end, you can do that too. But generally, it's not that complicated. It's just the, the, the timing of when he calls the plays and the execution of it is just a really high level. Okay, Belichick so knew it was coming and could handle it. That's his genius. That's, the, that's why McVeigh was painted as a genius. Watch the backlash now. You know, uh, it's like he's not going to be that. He's. I think they're going to tear him apart over the next uh, eighteen months if he doesn't get back to a Super Bowl or better in the next two seasons. McVeigh, you mean? They're just going to kill him because he's he's had it too easy for too long. Where he has been a superstar, and it's like nothing. There's been no setbacks, really. Yeah, that's what we do, though. We we talk to people up, and we overblow how good they are, and then we pull them down. But I, I actually think it's not going to be McVeigh. I think McVeigh is loved to a point. And America has this coach worship thing where they will love coaches. Like, it's a different sport, but in the NBA right now, Brad Stevens' Celtics team is falling apart, and I should probably watch what I say about Boston people right now, because I'm going there. But uh, if, if you look at that team, his team is falling apart right now. He's got a lot of talent. No one's really been blaming Brad Stevens. They're blaming all the players, and that's kind of just the way American sports work. So I feel like it's going to come back on golf, because the other part of this, last year was the peak of that Rams team. Like, you've got golf on no money at all. He's not still on his rookie contract. He's going to have to get paid soon. Sue is a free agent. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner is a free agent. Uh, Roger Saffold is a free agent on the offensive line. Roger Saffold is one of their most important players. No one talks about him because he's a guard. Which left or right guard? Le- he's a left guard. The right guard is awful. He, he's, uh, Austin Blythe was a major problem in the Super Bowl, a major problem throughout the playoffs, and a major problem through the regular season. But there, there's, there's three guys. Sue, you're probably not going to be able to pay because he didn't play well enough in the regular season. Played great in the playoffs. Uh, Joyner is someone they franchise tagged last year. I think they wouldn't mind letting him go because John Johnson played really, really well last year. And he's a safety. It's not really a priority position for them. But the big one is Saffold because 
He's 31. He's a converted tackle, so he's got great athleticism on the inside. He's great for the running game. He's huge for the pass protection. Him next to Whitworth solidifies that left side and makes it easy to build everywhere else. But they have like 25 million in cap space. They're going to have to give Goff an extension. They're going to have to pay a Saffold. And then they've got no money left to get better. So how are they going to get better moving forward? I just I don't, don't think they can. I don't think they're wedded to Goff. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if, like, if they just decide, well, uh, it wasn't this coach who picked Goff. He's turned him into something. He salvaged him, but like I think the big the big key to this it, it's a story from last from this off season, last off season, whatever the approaching early last year when Khalil Mack was up for up for no one ever talked about the Rams, but it came out afterwards that the Rams were like in the front trying to trade for Khalil Mack, which makes no sense because if we go back to August, they had to pay Aaron Donald, and Aaron Donald is on twenty million a year or whatever, and the Rams were going to trade for uh, Khalil Mack, play Khalil Mack for a year on a huge contract I've given him extension and then trade him away again yeah. so they were they're thinking way differently to every other NFL team and I think it makes it makes perfect sense yes like it, it, I, they're thinking a little bit how Sashi Brown was thinking yes. it's just that he had a shit coach who didn't know what to do and they didn't have enough talent and they didn't have enough time they're, they don't have this conventional wisdom one of the things that was often said to me when talking to other media people coming up just kind of making this about myself because ego here needs to be fed but one of the things I had talked about with me was I never learned the way people are taught about quarterbacks growing up in America so I have a very different way of looking at quarterbacks than most of the people in my field and what that was explained to me was when you're 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 you're taught that the quarterback is responsible for the whole team and no matter what it's the quarterback determines the result of the game and that's something I never had and I feel like you take guys like Sashi Brown who's obviously coming from baseball and you take someone like Sean McVay who's obviously just a very independent thinker and they are con- bucking conventional wisdom and they're not going to do what the Rex Ryans of the world do what, what most coaches will do where actually great example of this is John Elway this, just this week he's like I'm not taking a short quarterback because I don't think short quarterbacks work. And he traded for Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco's been awful for six years. Yeah. Uh, he said something about... Was that you tweeting about that? Not being able yeah, to see so all the... Kyler Murray is one of the stars of this year's draft. I have not delved into the draft this year yet, so I, I can't tell you specifically if he's good or not, or if I think he's good or not. We don't really know anyway. So Patrick Mahomes is a disaster coming out. No, he's an MVP in the second season. So... The, Kyler Murray is this guy. He's five foot eight, five foot nine, really, really short. That's shorter than Russell Wilson. Like that's proper. Really shorter. It, it's an issue, and it is something that needs to be worked around. It, it is something that matters, and it's a very simple thing. Of your offensive linemen are six foot five, and you're five foot eight, and you've got to see over. Them. Yeah, like that's a that's a, a real issue, but it's also not a deal breaker. But John Elway came out and said, "Oh, I can't take a short quarterback because he has to play under center, and if you play under center, you can't see over the offensive line," which makes no sense because if you play in shotgun, you have to throw the ball from the same spot. You're not doing something magnificently different. And Elway has taken guys like Paxton Lynch, like Joe Flacco, guys who are proven to be pretty... Great record at QBs, isn't he? It's it's amazing. It's something I think applies across all sports where if you're ultra-talented... like There's a great story about this with uh, Randy Moss. When Randy Moss was in New England, I think it was, he was talking to the other receivers, like random guys who nobody knows anymore even, and he was trying to teach them how to release off the line and run downfield. And Randy Moss was just like, oh, you move like this, and then you've got a free lane, and then you run away from him. And the guys are looking at him like, yep, yeah, but you're Randy Moss. You run a 4-2. As soon as you get that little gap of space, you're gone. The rest of us aren't that. So John Elway was a phenomenal quarterback. I feel like it's hard for him to understand how much goes into being a quarterback when it all came naturally to him. The one thing is, though, that um, I'm constantly amazed when you look back to the way that these drafts have worked out in recent years, that it is QBs who kind of have dropped down, who weren't picked first and second, um, who have done amazing things. Like, you talk about the, the MVP. It's like, why now, if you were in charge of a team 
who had a quarterback or doesn't have a quarterback, are you not just taking a quarterback early anyway and, and risking it? Here's, here's the reason why. So if Patrick Mahomes, and this is something that came up a lot last year, if Patrick Mahomes went to Buffalo, and let's say Patrick Mahomes started straight away, because he would have had to in Buffalo, and there's no Andy Reid, so you've got Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech, Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, I can't remember which, but he's coming out of college, he has awful footwork, he has terrible decision-making, his accuracy is all over the place. It all comes back to that development stage. And Andy Reid understood he had this development that he could put him through, and he also understood he can put, them, put him in a very specific offense that's great for him. Now, Mahomes also exceeded every expectation besides that because he's just a ridiculous talent. But you have to be able to understand when you are selecting someone coming out of college, you are selecting someone who is an undeveloped pro- uh, yeah. prospect. And one of my keys recently has been you are taking an evaluation that's incomplete, and you're prioritizing that evaluation over to everything else, that's why teams stick with a golf. That's why they stick with a quarterback who's been underwhelming for a couple of years early in their career. But, so Goff went one and Wentz went two, is that right? Yeah. That, that, that was the order? Both of them were traded up for. And uh, so I, I just feel like if, you are, if you're a team with a, a QB on a big contract who you're not fully sure of, which is basically everybody... Like it's so four uh, or five teams in the league who are comfortable. Yeah, it's, but otherwise, it's, it's even it's the Patriots now because obviously there's, there's the, that is going to finish sooner rather than yeah. later. Now you, the clock is ticking, it's ten to midnight. But if you're the 49ers, if you're the Lions, if you're whoever, like why if if Kyler Murray drops to eight or nine, jump. Oh yeah, because if if it doesn't work, who cares? Fascinating one actually right now, and it's a little bit of speculation, it's a little bit of a distance out, and it's kind of the rumors you're hearing. It's nothing really official yet. Is Russell Wilson is entering his last year in last year in his contract, and apparently they haven't talked. Apparently there's talk about like I don't know how much you want to put into this, but there's talk of Sierra wanting to Sierra is Russell Wilson's wife wanting to play be in New York. And there's talk of her wanting to be closer to places like LA and bigger markets. Which, like, I guess these things have to be She's considered. She's a singer, is she? Yeah, singer, singer and dancer, very famous, I guess. But <laughs> I'm not sure how much I can talk about that. But you have to factor those things in. But with Russell Wilson, the other part of this is the Seahawks going to have to pay him $32, $33 million a year. Yeah. Russell Wilson's a really, really talented quarterback, a really, really inconsistent quarterback, and also someone who's shown he needs a running game to really function. So how are you going to pay $32, $33 million to him Keep all your defensive players like Frank Clark, who's hitting free agency, and build a full team. Like we've seen over recent years, like not this year, but the year before last, was uh, Case Keenum, Tom Brady, uh, Blake Bortles, and Nick Foles were the final four quarterbacks in the NFL. If you can build a team, you are much better off than having just Philip Rivers. Yeah. You're much better off than having just Aaron Rodgers. Like, you have to be able to build at different levels and be able to win games in different ways, and that's the key. Quite a question for you. That that might only be the case for another year and a half because the collective bargaining agreement is up for renegotiation. So who knows whether or not the rookie yeah. contracts are going to be such great... Such, I mean, they probably will because the unions always screw the last people in. That's the, yeah. that's the job that's, of the union. That's how we got the rookie wage scale. And so maybe, they will, maybe they'll roll that over and screw them again and they realise that it works better for the veterans because actually, you know what, we get a chance... Well, it doesn't really work better for the veterans if you think about it, does it? It doesn't. It's, it's a short-sighted thing. I, I, I think the key always with this is if you build contracts on uh, a certain salary, then it, then you hope that the salary cap goes, grows. If the salary cap grows, you're generally okay. So if you're paying 20 million and it's, let's say, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but let's say it's 15% of your cap, but then the cap grows the next year, so it goes down 12% or 11%. Yeah. And if you structure it in such a way that you take the biggest hit at the start, you're looking after yourself in the future and you'll have more flexibility. But if, you, if you're the players, like players at this point should be trying to negotiate percentages of the salary cap rather than actual salaries, I think. I'm not sure if it's legal, but if you're coming into the CBA, that's the kind of thing you should be looking for. But the other part of this is, 
the NFL has the weakest players association in the whole league. The, the NFL just does what it wants. If you go look at baseball, baseball uh, player association gets guaranteed contracts, gets no salary cap, gets everything you can because they're really strong. Basketball's going that way with their with their new leader, like whose name escapes you right now. But the football just has no power and never has yeah, because yeah. careers are so short. There's no guaranteed money. You spend half your early life in college making no money. So players desperately need that money. In, they need that income. Yeah, and you end up with. Um Badly damaged brains because of the hits as well. Yes. We should talk about some of the off-season stories. So um, the various teams are, are, are actually well set up when you look at how they've managed over the last couple of years. You think that the injuries that um, Andrew Luck had at uh, at Indianapolis for such a long period of time, it, it resulted in two bad seasons, effectively. Um, the one where he gets injured and they have a bad season and then the one that he misses for the whole year. And uh, over that period of time, they didn't pay anybody any money and they got rid of their shitty coaching tickets and they got a good GM who has got rookie class after rookie class to come through in some key positions. And they are rich. There's a beauty of this is the uh, former Colts GM, Ryan Grigson, said... He, he was basically asked about the quality of his team a couple of years ago, and he said it's really hard to build a team when you've got to pay a quarterback $20 million, which is a funny thing to say when your quarterback is Andrew Luck, who carries half the team for you anyway, and he was giving awful, awful contracts to old veterans who just weren't good enough. Now they're in a position, the guy who's succeeded, uh, Ryan Grigson, has shown you exactly how to do it. He's hit on Ryan Kelly, his centre, first-round pick from two years ago. He hit on Quinton Nelson, his left guard, from, as first-round pick from last year. He hit on Brett Smith, who was his right tackle from last year. Uh, they also found uh, Mark Lewinsky, who's a right guard in free agency, and they signed him to a good deal. So they have built an offensive line. You've got Andrew Luck there on his contract, big contract, but it's worth it. He's a, he's a valuable player. Not that big anymore. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, that's a good point. Like we were just talking about, the salary cap has grown since he got paid. Um, and then you've got, you've got young running backs there who are on controlled contracts, rookie contracts. They are costing you nothing. You've got T.Y. Hilton, wide receiver, who's on a fine contract for what T.Y. Hilton is. You don't really have anything else in the skill positions. And defensively, you've got Malik Hooker, who is developing into a, a top player who's a phenomenal talent, had an early ACL tear in his career, but he's uh, an emerging star, I guess, or someone who can be an emerging star. And you've got Darius Leonard, who was one of the best rookies last year inside linebacker. So now you've got all, all you've got to do is fill in around that foundation. That's a really, really good foundation. But the interesting thing is, they've got $120 million in caps for this. That is... 30 million more than the second place team, and the second place team is about 20 million higher than the third place team. So they can literally go into the free agency and say, who do we want? Right, we're going to go and get him. They can literally, and the thing that they, they're also going to be able to do is pick the guys who are 25, 26, 27. They don't have to fight for someone who's 31, 32, 33. So they can go short term and long term. You never get teams with $100 million in cap space with no quarterback question marks, no offensive line question marks, yeah. a legitimate wide receiver, and at least two quality defenders there to build around. So, so they're in a great position. It, and they have the right coaching staff as well. I feel like they do. Uh, the interesting part there is Frank, Frank Reich, I think everyone's in on Frank Reich. He, like, he has a couple of... Like, sending Andrew Luck out in routes is something that is going to infuriate me every time he does it. And if he gets punished for it, everyone's going to kill him. Because if Andrew Luck takes a wrong hit, falls on his shoulder and is out for the season, they're all going to blame him. Even though that can happen in the pocket too, but that's a better risk. But of, the interesting thing is defensively, Matt Eberflus, who is a defensive coordinator was meant to be someone who was going to be a head coach. And they went far enough in the playoffs that teams kind of went, OK, we're not going to wait for you. We like you, but we're not, it's not worth hanging around for you. 
So he's stayed there now, and he's going to be a defensive coordinator again. And he got a guy like Marcus. Marcus Hunt was drafted by the Bengals. Marcus Hunt was a defensive lineman who was drafted by the Bengals, an Estonian, I believe. He was on Hard Knocks, so people might know him from that, where he was kind of portrayed as the big, dumb European guy who had no idea what he was doing, who yeah. ran around too tall and really long arms, and they kind of... Did he bounce around? Is this like his fifth or sixth team? Yeah, he's bounced around a little bit. The Bengals gave up on him after two years, but he, he was kind of like this Frankenstein guy because his arms are really long. He's massive. He's a phenomenal athlete, and no one could ever get him to do anything. Landed in Indianapolis this year and became a star. He's just like, he's ragdolling people. He's grabbing them, throwing them out of the way. He's breaking down plays, disrupting plays as quickly as he can. And you have to kind of credit that to that coaching staff. Obviously, Hunt himself had to do it. But when you go across that board, you've got guys who, a lot of guys I don't even, didn't even know. Guys who were just like in the league, but were like fringe players who didn't expect to be on a roster, playing key roles and performing pretty well. So you have to say like, yeah, maybe it's one year fluke, but until now, until it turns, we have to give him credit and say he's getting the best out of these guys. Okay, the other uh, team with loads of cap space and a good situation at QB is the Browns, who have gone from being a complete joke to a team that are, you know, everybody's going to say they're an underdog and it's their uh, dark horse for uh, the playoffs. But like, I do love that, by the way. Everyone, he's there. Everyone's underdog, so they can't really be an underdog. Yeah, they're, it's a pretty good situation they find themselves in. All because but, Baker's good. No, all because Sashi Brown set this up in motion. Like I, I just I, it, it frustrates me, and I know I probably sound ridiculous about it at this point because I've talked about it a lot. But when you have a long-term plan, and the long-term plan involves losing at the start to be better later on, that's the point of losing at the start. Don't get mad about losing at the start. He said, like they have another, I think they have another second, no, they have a first-round pick coming after this year, and they have extra second-round picks this year. So they still have loads of weight to add to their roster, but they also have eighty or ninety million dollars in cap space, whatever it is. The key to them is they've got a quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who they're happy with. They've got some offensive linemen they're happy with. I feel like those offensive linemen might be a little bit overrated, but you can afford to go and add just one. Add, uh, add a, add a, like, I think the best left tackle is probably Donovan Smith. That's probably not a great option, so you're probably going to look in the draft. Surpass that, you're looking at wide receivers. But you don't really need a star wide receiver. You've got Antonio Callaway there, a young guy who looks like he could develop into a, a quality wide receiver one. You've got Jarvis Landry after him. I'm not the biggest Jarvis Landry fan, but in that offense with David Njoku, Duke Johnson, Kareem Hunt is now there as well. How much he's going to play, we don't know. They have enough talent on the offensive side. And the thing is, they're a defensive team. That team won games last year because of Baker Mayfield, people said, but reality, it was Miles Garrett. Down, yeah. It was everyone else dominating. And I kind of... Like they have a lot of young, high-quality players, especially in the secondary with Denzel Ward at cornerback, who was a controversial high pick last year in the draft, but had a great rookie season. Demarius Randall and, J- and Jabril Peppers at safety have been really good. But I really hope, and this is kind of a little bit out of left field, I really hope they go for Earl Thomas. And it's not just because Earl Thomas is a transcendent football player who changes any defense. They have decent safeties, but I want them to get someone who has been through everything they want to go through. Earl Thomas has gone through one, one Super Bowl. He's gone to the Super Bowl and lost. He's been in the playoffs every year. He's competed in divisions every year. And I know that's something we can overstate from the outside and talking about leadership and stuff like that. But when you are in the Brown situation with so many young guys and Earl Thomas who is celebrated for being a leader of the locker room, someone who is the communicator on defense, you put him there, you're going to get the best out of these guys who are raw talents like Larry Ogunjabi who came out of nowhere again on the defensive front. He's going to be more... Uh, He's going to be able to get more sacks, get more pressure, because Thomas will force quarterbacks to hold the ball a little bit longer. The defensive back is going to be in better positioning because he's great at diagnosing what the offense wants to do. So I really hope they kind of do something 
less aggressive and, and like we talked about, that's a little bit out-of-the-box thinking because generally NFL teams will go, oh, we've got a solid starter here. We don't need to add to that position what are our needs. When really, when you've got that much cap space, when you don't have to pay anyone for at least two years, you can, afford you can just take swings. Yeah, and it's probably quite a while before they need to pay anybody. Oh, um, and like, oh, oh. Chubbs the first round, so they get the fifth round yeah. option. Yeah. Garrett's the same, Baker's the same. Like that, and that's the foundation of your team right there. Everyone else, like, everyone else are good players, but there's no one else there that you have to go, oh, we have to keep him. Yeah, I was mixing up Chubb and Garrett there because uh, it was the other Chubb who was the pass rush at um, Oh, no, but you're, Denver, well, it works because Nick Chubb. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> just, I, I just say you're with the running back. There you go. Um, uh, okay, so that's those stories. You're talking about Earl Thomas. Everybody assumes that he's going to Dallas because he's got his kids in a school in Austin. And Richard Sherman literally said it the other day. <laughs> Did he say he's going to Dallas? <laughs> he, Richard Sherman said he's recruiting him to San Francisco, so yeah. you can get excited about that. But he also said if the money's close, he's going to Dallas. Right. And Dallas has $70 million in cap space. Yeah. So I assume they will yeah. do it. And they have uh, needs on defense now because they've got a couple of guys who... Yeah, well, Randy Gregory's suspended now again. He's probably not going to play again for the Cowboys or anyone. They're going to have to re- bring back Marcus Lawrence. It's going to be harder now because he sees that Randy Gregory's gone and he's like, hey, you need me even more now than you already did. Yeah. But the thing that's really fascinating there, I think you've got the linebacker core set up with the two young guys. Uh, but you, you're, they're going to move on from Sean Lee. That'll save them a lot of money. Their cornerbacks there are pretty good. Byron Jones moved from safety to cornerback and it's been perfect role for him. I was actually sceptical of that because he's a very rigid, long player. I thought he'd struggle to turn with guys. But the interesting thing, their biggest weakness on defense, I think, outside of maybe adding to the defensive line, especially now that Gregory is gone, their biggest weakness on defense was Jeff Heath, who is a safety who's versatile, but he's also slow. He's not an impact player. He's someone who does his assignment but doesn't really do much else for you. And generally, when the Cowboys had a big passing play given up last year, it was Jeff Heath running after them who couldn't keep up with his gun. So if you take uh, Xavier Woods, who is the free safety, you play him with Earl Thomas, you now don't have the big hitter, big Cam Chancellor type, but you don't really need that anymore. So now you've got two guys who can play all over the field and play in space and be comfortable, and that will just... And Chris Richard, who is the Cowboys' defensive coordinator, basically now, was uh, Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman's defensive backs coach when they were being developed early in their careers. So. Yeah, okay, so it looks like that's nailed on. And, and it's, it'll be a huge detail because, like, with Amari, with Dak, with everything else, like, their, their centre, Travis Frederick, missed all of last year. He's coming back. He's an impact player. They are really set. Like I know the Cowboys have a tendency to kind of ruin themselves because Jason Garrett's the coach and makes terrible decisions. But talent-wise, they look like they could be one of the best teams in the league next year. Are you paying Dak? I mean, obviously. oh yeah, safest. That's the safest quarterback to pay. Like Dak gets this. Like if Dak has played three seasons now, is it? I think he's had probably six months, or not six months. Sorry, he's probably had half of a, a season where he's been like legitimately poor, and outside of that, he's been really, really good. And people think, oh, he's only good because of Amari. The same way the year before they said he's only good because of, uh, of Elliot. Yeah. No, he's good when you have an actual chance to be good. When you're being suffocated by an offense that's so poorly designed that no one has a chance of getting open, yeah, your numbers aren't going to look great. Does but he's never hurt. He's, he's been played very well, and he's, he knows the position. He understands the position as well as anyone who's at that age. Does he need to be paid the top tier, or do you get a slightly cheaper deal because you're like, hey, Dak, you're, you're good, you're not great? Well, I'm sure that's what they'll go for, and I don't know what Dak will do. It kind of depends. Like, if you, some, some quarterbacks feel pressured to take the cheaper deal. They want that long-term security. And then other quarterbacks, like I think Flacco's probably the most famous one before their Super Bowl run. They tried to pay him. He obviously went on, won the Super Bowl, and all credit to him. He got a huge contract from yeah. it. It's kind of up to what Dak wants to do. I think Dak, if he like, got towards the open market, the Cowboys would probably sweat it and have to pay him. I think he's someone who could end up getting... A $30 million a year contract. It's not bad, really, when you consider um, 
The, I'm uh, sure Jerry can afford it. Fourth rounder, third, fourth yeah. rounder. Well, like, it plays back to what you're talking about. It was a guy who landed in the right situation and it has worked out for him. But, and so many teams who really did need a quarterback at that point had passed on him. Hey, let's go back to John Elway. John Elway traded, traded up for Pax and Lynch. The, the Cowboys wanted to trade up for Pax and Lynch and Dak was their cons- consolation price. Yeah. So we just don't know of these guys coming out of college. No, it's true, and the Cowboys don't really, I suppose, get the credit for uh, trying to get Paxton Lynch. But maybe, look, some some of them, and I'm not saying that was the case with Paxton Lynch, but some of them just go off the rails because you get you get the money. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm a full-time professional athlete, I get to go and drink and party, and that's what's uh, the culture that yeah, I'm we never, Yeah, we can never know from the outside looking in. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, swinging on a second-rounder for a QB, it's a great bet, I think. I think it is. I think the only, like, the reason I argue against that is there's a developmental phase that has to come into it. And if you have a limit, like, this, this is the one thing the NFLPA has kind of done pretty well is they limit the off-season work that you can force a player to do. So you have a very limited time to develop a quarterback. Yeah, but there's enough, there's enough experts out there that you can send them over oh, to, yeah. and like those QB camps that you hear about. Um, do you want to talk about Antonio Brown and what you think is going to happen there? And the continuing whispers around Odell Beckham Jr. is that they gave him the contract uh, last year to make sure that they weren't going to lose them. It's like, it's like football. You tie somebody down to a long-term deal and you put your buyout clause in it and the buyout clause gets met and everybody's happy. Um, I don't know what the buyout clause would be in this instance. Is it two first-rounders for... I think you start with that Kylian Mack trade and you work up from there because it's a transcendent talent. I know they're not the same position, but it's a transcendent player. But he hasn't quite been the same since he came back from that horrific injury. He was the same. You know who wasn't the same? His quarterback. And his quarterback is the one who's getting safe, who's assured of his place next year, and it makes no sense to me. They, I literally, like, I just wrote about this. Uh, They're lying about that, though. That's, that's the pre-draft lie, so you try and get a cheap deal on the first or second pick. Yeah, well, maybe. It might be. But I, I mean, it's the, it's the obvious, ah, we're grand, we it, don't need a quarterback. It's obvious, but they also brought Can him I back last year. <laughs> they also brought him back last year when it was, made no sense to bring him back last year. Yeah. But like, here's, I, I literally just finished this, so I'm probably off on a tangent with it or whatever, but I've gone through Eli Manning's plays from this year, and there is just play after play after play after play of Ola Beckham being wide open and Manning just not seeing him or completely missing the throw. Man, Beckham had 74 accurate targets last year, so Manning threw a good throw to him. He caught 77 passes, and he drew five defensive pass interference penalties while only playing in 12 games. This guy is a just phenomenal football player who alters your defense or the offense completely because... If there are two players, if the safety is over the top of him, he still might get open. And when the safety is always over the top of him, everyone else knows they're going to get open, and the quarterback knows to go where to go with the ball. Beckham is someone I would give up, I, I would give up two first round picks from. I would happily add him to my offense. Who who would do that at this point? I mean, the 49ers are kind of being talked about as this aggressive team. The 49ers have a bunch of cap space. They also have a quarterback who. They believe in him. The rest of us still don't know what he is, and they're tied to him regardless. So it's not like they're going to go out and trade for a quarterback or pick up a quarterback in the draft. So if you've got these draft picks, you've got, you've got a fairly talented roster, you've got the flexibility, you've got a high first-round pick as well, which is key, because if you offer the Giants a high first-round pick, yeah, it's a huge investment. But it also means it might just be one pick. Yeah. Instead of giving you up You could trade down with the Giants. Giants are sixth or eighth, are they? Some, yeah, they're in, in that high, yeah. high level there. So you could actually just trade down with the Giants and maybe throw in something else, but nothing huge. Yeah. And you go, you're, gonna, you're, you're getting your quarterback of the future, we're taking this problem child yeah. off your hands who you don't really like. And the other part of that is, key, key detail this year, the draft, I haven't done this individually, but the people I trust and a lot of them are all agreeing the same thing. This year's draft has 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 great pass rushers at the top. That means you, the difference between having the first overall pick and having the sixth overall pick isn't a big deal. Because there's not one Unless truly great yeah. yeah, but the guys who are reaching for QB is going to reach for QBs anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, the the other interesting story to this, and I, I don't know if everybody has heard this yet, but there's like rumours coming from Miami that they're about to tank for next year. But mm. I still see them being linked with picking a QB in the first round. It's like, well, they're clearly not going to do that. They're just going to pick the best defensive talent or the best offensive talent they can so they prepare themselves for when they have their 0-16 season and get, uh, the, is it, what's the kid's name? The Is it like a... Oh, uh, Tua? Yeah. Yeah, he's an Alabama quarterback, so they're always... There's kind of a breakdown of this quick, very quickly. Alabama players get to play with such dominant players around them that it's very hard to... Right. Uh, yeah, when, when you're all better than all of your opponents, yeah. you can often look too good. Like AJ McCarron was a great college quarterback, not an NFL player. But uh, just quickly on the Dolphins, I don't really know what the Dolphins are doing. I, like, if you were going to release Tannehill or trade Tannehill, why haven't you done it yet? You've had plenty of time. You, you, you obviously can't do it until the new year starts, but you can announce it, and then it, it gets it all over with, and you move on. Yeah. So I, I tend mean, to be with you. I think no one's offering them anything for it. They're, they're going to cut them. It's the same way that Nick Foles ended up being cut because, or will end up officially being cut because nobody's going to trade you when yeah. they know he's coming on. Like, uh, well, Tannehill's under contract for next. You can have a sixth or a seventh round pick. Like, hey, it's better than nothing. Sometimes. Yeah, or maybe you sit Tannehill. He's your, he's your backup to. Well, I'm, I'm generally of the belief that the defense over there was problematic. The supporting cast around the quarterback was problematic. I think, like, if I think a team like if, if the Giants picked up Tannehill and kept Beckham, I think they'd be a much better team. Well, I was going to ask, right, so very briefly on the Giants before we uh, move on to Antonio Brown. Um, if, if you believe that you've got that skill, possession, skill position group sorted, why the hell would you be giving away Odell Beckham Jr. at this point? Like... <laughs> I have no idea. Again, this is the opposite of what we just talked about. This is the conventional wisdom. Dave Gettleman said this week, uh, big players win football games. Yeah. And he meant physically big. That's, that's 1940s football. That's not football right now. Football right now is get in space, get your fastest players around, yeah. like, do what the Chiefs are doing. He wants to line up and run over everybody. He thinks Jonathan Stewart is the type of player you should invest in. He thinks uh, Nate Solder, left tackle, is the guy you need, rather than going out and getting weapons. They, are, they have really good weapons. And the interesting, like, the, the biggest issue with the Giants outside of just like their general kind of malpractice and the way they're going about things is you've got a head coach there in Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer's offense is actually really nice, really nicely designed, would work perfectly with a mobile quarterback. And your GM is saying to Pat Shermer, hey, we've got Eli Manning, you've got to take Eli Manning. Eli Manning at his best couldn't move. And now he's trying to do bootlegs. Now he's trying to do play action from shotgun where he's running outside the pocket. Now he's trying to run one way, come back the other and throw the other way. And it's that's never going to work when you're 39 years of age. Yeah. And it didn't work when he was 28. No. And I liked, I liked Eli Manning a lot more than most people over the years because I always thought he was in a, a scheme that kind of forced him to make difficult throws. That's why he had loads of interceptions. But at this point, it's two years past when you should have moved on already. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, the benefit of having somebody crappy like that, a QB, is that you're supposed to get a really high pick. So you can and they won't. QB and they didn't. Uh, they managed to win a squeak out a few games at the end of the season there. So, Antonio Brown, what do you do? Well, if, if you're the Steelers or if you're Antonio Brown, that's, well, a, key, that's a key detail. Yeah, like so, if you're Antonio Brown, you've kind of played this quite well up yeah. to this point. It would be good if you looked a little bit saner over the <laughs> yeah, next probably. few weeks. The just to, it's like you know. Um, <laughs> but if you're the Steelers, you're stuck, right? You've got to get rid of him. You can't bring him back because you look stupid. Yeah, well, it's just kind of. I think the beauty of this is the NFL offseason is really long. Yeah, so everybody it's, forgets. Yeah, so people kind of get over this stuff, and then uh, 
Brown, uh, Antonio Brown reaches a point in August where it's like, hey, you can earn $22 million this year, or you can sit at home doing nothing. And he's like, mm, I'll probably earn $22 million this oh, year. Oh, he will show up, but will he put it in? No, absolutely not. But right. why would he? And I, I'm, on, I'm kind of 100% on Antonio Brown's side with this because I've watched all of Ben Roethlisberger's play, I've watched him deteriorate as a quarterback, and I've also watched him blame every single person around him for his mistakes. Yeah. And that's literally what Antonio Brown has said, I'm sick of being the scapegoat. And he gets blamed for things that are not his fault. And in terms of, okay, off the field, yeah, he's a bit of a crazy person. Always has been, and they've always been okay with that when, he's, when the team has been winning. Yeah. But his level of play hasn't dropped off. He's still a phenomenal football player. He's still someone, if you drop him into any offense, and like Kevin Colbert, uh, Cedars GM, said this week, oh, we have three teams interested in Antonio Brown. Get out of here. There are 31 teams interested in Antonio Brown. Some of them probably can't afford him. Some of them probably don't want to give up the draft picks. But every single team in the league wants that guy on his team. Him and Odell are basically, like, and DeAndre Hopkins, but he's obviously not leaving Houston. They are at the very top of the league right now in terms of playmaking talent of the outside. So he's, he's uh, 31 before the season starts. I think he turns 31 in August, right? That's not old for a receiver. Well, I was going to say, like, if you look, uh, there's a possibility that he has a Larry Fitzgerald-style final five, six, seven years of his career where he just keeps going. And he yeah. becomes. Now I don't know if he, I don't know if they'd put him in the slot. I don't know. Oh, he can he play. Works. He can play anywhere. But he, I, I think his work rate and his athleticism is such that you're getting three or four years out of him. And like, if you're an NFL team, that's enough. Three or four years, like that full career. Yeah. What What more do you want? Yeah. You've moved on by that stage. Um, the Steelers are in a difficult spot then because it used to be that they were a factory of wide receivers. There was a point where they had Heinz Ward, Antoine Randall, Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, and Antonio Brown would be inactive in game day. Like he went from being he was inactive, who couldn't get a get a spot in the team, to being the best receiver in the league. Yeah, that's not where they are at the moment. Like they've got Juju Smith-Schuster, good player, not Antonio Brown, not Emmanuel Sanders. They've got uh, James Washington, who I like as a prospect coming out, but didn't have a great rookie season. And they've got Justin Hunter. They've got Eli Rogers, guys who are probably special teamers. So if they if they get rid of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell's leaving too, suddenly that's a pretty barren cupboard over there. Where does Bell end up? Funnily enough, um, I really, really like the idea of him going to Indianapolis, which sounds crazy because Marlon Mack and Nyheim Hines are pretty good. But the Colts' biggest need on offense is they need a wide receiver. There are no wide receivers in this free agency class who are top tier. Yeah. There's a guy like Jermaine Curse. That's fine. He's a complimentary player. But you can take Bell and you can play him in the slot and you can keep using the running backs you currently have and you can put Bell in the backfield. You can use Bell anywhere all over the field. And again, this is something I wrote a long article about a couple of weeks ago where you can line him up on outside the numbers, he'll work against cornerbacks and he'll win. You can line him up in the slot, he'll work vertically, he'll work horizontally, he'll catch screens. No matter where you put him on the field, he's the type of player who's going to be effective and I kind of want to treat him as a skill position player, a talent, rather than, hey, he's a running back. Yeah, isn't that the, that's the issue with the conversation that's happened around and people are like, oh, you can't, you can't pay him 20 million because you're overpaying for a running back and get a running back in the third round of the draft. You can get them, um, you can get them undrafted and it's like, yeah, you can, you can absolutely get really good running backs in the third round or undrafted but he's not, that's not what he is. He's like a... Yeah. You can't find Saquon Barkley anywhere. You can't find Le'Veon Bell anywhere. You can't find Ezekiel Elliott anywhere. You can't find Todd Gurley anywhere. There is still... Okay, it's easier to find an average-level running back. Like You can find a CJ Anderson. You can find just some guy who's going to come in and average four yards per carry. James Conner, perfect example. Came in and had a fine season, but he very, very clearly drop off between him and Le'Veon Bell. And a part of that was the Steelers going from throwing the ball 58% of the time with Bell to throwing the ball 67% of the time without him. And they're all of their numbers last year, yeah. none of, maybe not the raw numbers, all of their advanced analytics took a drop last year. And that's not a coincidence. That, that is precisely the issue, is that the, the, the opposition look and go, oh, we don't have to 
game plan for this guy anymore, so you're going to run the ball and you're going to run straight at us. It turns out you're really good at that because you're an elite athlete. You've made it all the way to the NFL, but you're not that guy. When you talked about Bill Belichick at the start of this, and this is a game I always come back to, and it, it, it annoys me that Bell got injured early in this game so we can get to see it play out fully. Uh, in the first quarter of the, I think it was the AFC Divisional round a couple of years ago, Belichick came out and was like, hey, I've got two linebackers. You two are just going to stay on Levy and Bell whenever they pass the ball. I've got a safety in the cornerback. You two are staying on Antonio Brown whenever you pass the ball. You can throw Bartsberger, you can throw to these two, three guys, one-on-one -on -one in space for the whole game. Do whatever you want to do. And Mark Davis probably was suspended that year, so he obviously wasn't there as a mismatch option. Yeah. So when you have Belichick going, hey, Le'Veon Bell is someone I have to completely take out of this game, and I'm going to take Antonio Brown completely out of this game too. As soon as Le'Veon Bell got hurt in that game, Belichick switched it up. He went, hey, I'm keeping two safeties back. Antonio Brown's going to catch nothing. I know the other receivers are going to catch nothing as well. You can try and run the ball all you like. You yeah. can throw to your running back out of the backfield all you like. I'm not scared of him. He's not going to make the first two guys miss and run for 30 yards. He might get five or six yards. He's not going to get 30 all the time. Is that the last game we saw him play in? Was that the, was that the last no, game? No, no, no. That, that, that was the year before. He, yeah, okay. he got hurt at the very end of it. Yeah, okay. And so two, a couple of other things we wanted to briefly talk about was um, the... QBs, the tall QBs, uh, Flacco and Foles. We've talked about Flacco a little bit, but um, where does Foles end up? I'm guessing Jacksonville. Just, just because? That's what the rumours are? Um, no, it's because like, they gave Blake Bortles a big contract because his team went to the AFC Championship, even though Blake Bortles was the reason they didn't make the Super Bowl. And they are going to look at Nick Foles and say, hey, he won the Super Bowl. Let's throw a bunch of money at him. And that's just the way Dave Caldwell and uh, Tom Coughlin think. And Foles, like... Foles, I thought, played a great game in New Orleans in the playoffs. I thought he showed up and had a couple of moments last year. Overall consistency was fine. But, like, your ceiling with him is the 15th, 16th, 17th best quarterback in the league. If you put him in a phenomenal situation, yeah, you can win a Super Bowl. Yeah. But you need that Doug Peterson coach. You need that dominant offensive line. You need an Alshon Jeffrey. You need a Zach Ertz. You need everything else around him. He's not. If you pay him $25 million a year, it's not helping you win. It's, it's, it's helping you lose. It's making you tougher to build a quality team. He is vastly better than Blake Bortles, and that team yes. is pretty good. But you well, can be vastly better than Blake Portis without being a good quarterback. Sure. <laughs> I, I, like, but he's not a bad quarterback in that he's not going to damage the team at key moments. Uh, yes. Over the, so. over the course of the season, you're going to win more than you lose in those key moments where you're like... I don't think so. Give the ball to Leonard Fournette or find... Well, he might not be there. I find one of our... Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that. that that's an alert. That, that kind of speaks to what the front office is. They suspended him because, for whatever nonsense reason they came up with and then they took away all this guaranteed money so they can get rid of him if they want yeah. that's, their, that's the hard line way they are I, I think with Foles because he's performed in big moments we overlooked that at the start of the year last year he was really bad we overlooked that in the playoffs last year outside he of he was the, really bad at the start of the year as well like, yeah he was a big part of that came back, it, the team wasn't great yeah that is true but I, I think the other part of that is like, look at the Chicago game at the Chicago game you got a chance to win at the end and he played really well on the final drive played really well on the first drive in between, he was a disaster. He did not know what he was doing half the time. And that's the reason that game was close. That's the reason they needed Cody Parkey to miss a field goal and then get cut by the Bears after missing seven or eight field goals, whatever it was, throughout the year. And that's the reason that game was close at all, Nick Foles was. Yeah. If, they, if they had average quarterback play, they would have easily won that game, which was kind of surprising to me because I thought the Bears were going to be the better team in that matchup. Yeah. Okay, one last thing that we were going to talk about was uh, the Vikings and their um, cap issues and how this is, this is why so many good players actually end up on the market. And it's one of the reasons why I really like the NFL is that like, everybody has the same pot to spend and you either manage it well or you don't. And over the course of a period of time, in football, it turns out the quality of your manager 
has traditionally not mattered that much. What has mattered in soccer, what, what has traditionally mattered in the Premier League was who spends the most on their wage bill, and they're the teams that over a decade are going to be the ones who finish in order. I'm sure Sarri will agree with you right now. Uh, well, and then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer comes along and goes, actually, it does kind of matter. Maybe it matters a bit more now as, um, as the games have um, become more difficult and more evolved game plans. But in football, like if you don't run your office properly, you get fucked. Yeah, and like, like you've already mentioned, this quarterback contract is a huge thing. You give Kirk Cousins a three-year deal, $68 million, guaranteed money, whatever it is, that's a chunk of your cap space. And you expect other guys to go, oh, I'll take a cut price. I'll just say I want to come back and win with this guy. But then he plays terribly, and he's a big reason you don't win games. And the other players recognize this because they know how the plays are designed. They know what they're doing. They know what's happening quarter to quarter to quarter to game to game to week to week. Yeah. So you have a guy like Javier Rhodes right now who is expected to be traded. Javier Rhodes was one of the most popular players in Minnesota two years ago, an all-pro cornerback. Didn't have a great year last year. I personally don't think he's a great cornerback. I think he's a cornerback who fits the scheme very, very well and is a good player. But even if I'm lower on him than everyone else, I'm still not happy about giving him away for no reason. Everson Griffin, defensive player of the year two years ago, had mental health issues during the season last year, was injured, was not, not uh, fully effective when he played, but still an effective player when he played last year. Still someone who's young enough that you shouldn't be giving, getting rid of him just for cap relief. He's apparently going to be cut. So you've brought in Kirk Cousins. You're paying him all this money. You've got an offensive line you can't upgrade because you don't have any cap space, and now you've got, got to get rid of your couple of your stars just to have a chance of retaining Sheldon Richardson, have a chance of retaining Anthony Barr. And Anthony Barr is a fascinating, fascinating piece of this offseason. So Anthony Barr, early, earlier in his career, was outstanding as a, a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker. When he came out of college, he's six foot five, 260 pounds. That's, what, 17, 18 stone, whatever. He's a An off-ball linebacker, you expect him to do that? Oh, sorry, he, well. he play, he's not, not a pass rusher. He's not trying to get the quarterback. Okay. He's dropping in space. He's running with running backs. He's running with tight ends. Early in his career, outstanding, phenomenal. Him and Kendricks were a fulcrum of that defense. They shut everyone down. They, he terrified defenses. Zimmer used them in different ways to confuse the offense all the time. Since then, he's slowed up for whatever reason. It might be injuries, it might be out of shape, it might just have, I don't know, it might just whatever inconsistency came into his game. So the Vikings were in this difficult place where Zimmer loves the guy. Zimmer thinks he's a great talent. He apparently is like a leader in the locker room, apparently is a good character guy, abundantly quality, high-quality player, but it seems like he doesn't fit his position anymore. He gets exposed too much in the play action. He, if you watch that Rams-Vikings game from early in the year, he was often the guy running after someone who had gone wide open past him. But here's the thing, if he hits free agency, someone's going to look at him and go, he's 6 foot 5, 18 stone, he is a phenomenal pass, or he can be a phenomenal pass rusher. Let's just play him on the edge. Let's not play him as an off-ball linebacker. So the Vikings are probably looking at him going, hey, we need to bring you back at this price. This price is an off-ball, off-ball linebacker, we won't pay you like pass rushers. And someone like Green Bay, who might need to replace Clay Matthews because there's a talk there about his contract, they might come in and say, hey, we're happy to pay you because we're not going to ask you to cover guys in space. We're going to unleash you and let you become this 14, 15, 16 sack guy. That's not what the Vikings need because they've got Daniel Hunter, they've got all these other guys on the defensive line. So... The fascinating part of this is you've got the Vikings who... It's a bit risky though, isn't it? Oh, it's all massively. But it's free agency. Everything comes with some level of risk. But the fascinating part of this is you've got the Vikings who think they're a contender in the NFC. They could either lose a high-quality player or re-sign someone who continues to struggle. But if they lose him, he could also double, double, uh, double hurt them where he could go to someone else, switch positions, and become this dominant pass rusher who everyone thought he was going to be coming out of the draft from UCLA initially. And is there talk of him becoming a pass rusher at this stage? Always has been because right. the body type, because of the, ex the athleticism, because of he's not one of these guys who looks like an athlete and plays like an athlete. 
he is someone who is a proper, proper football player when he's actually given a specific role. Yeah. So it's a really, really interesting thing because normally after four years of a player's career, you have an idea of, oh, he's good, he's bad. But with Barr, it's kind of different levels to it. You don't really know what way it's going to go or what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. One last thing. You talked about um, certain QB or certain cornerbacks being good scheme fits. Um, it did strike me that there's been this kind of movement in the NFL over the last five or seven years really since the Legion of Boom started that the Seattle defense was a thing that was going to go and spread and you know pop up everywhere and it has popped up everywhere Atlanta uh, San Francisco and a bunch of other places Jacksonville yeah but but hang on I mean didn't Belichick kind of show that if you have one scheme everybody's going to work out what your scheme is and they're going to attack because unless it's absolutely perfect unless you have that collection of players that they had in Seattle, which was an all-time great collection of players who all came through at the same time, then you can't do the Seattle defense because you're not Seattle. Yep, pretty much. And the other, you can take that a step further because everything you said there is correct and pretty much that's all you pretty much need to say about it. But you can take that one step forward. You, if Belichick understands how to attack you as a passer, in the playoffs he mostly attacks you by running the ball. And he was playing power, he was using these heavy linebackers or the heavy, heavy offensive linemen to run around the edge and blow right through your shorter, smaller, faster guys who are set up to stop the quick passes. Yeah. And he's just able to go... Actually, one of the things I always come back to, um, this is the most random reference you're ever going to get in this show, but Kobe Bryant a few years ago did a, a competition for kids who would get to come and play horse with him. Horses, you, I assume people know horse, where you shoot the ball from a specific spot. If you make it, the person after you has to make it as well. If they don't make it, you get a letter. That's whatever that game is. And this kid came in to Kobe, and he was like, just up to Kobe and goes, I've been practicing my trees. I'm going to win this. I'm going to dominate you. And he shot his first tree, and he shot his second tree. And Kobe was just like, yeah, that's, that's good. So Kobe went, all right, it's my turn. And he went in behind the backboard and started just flicking the ball over the, over the backboard like that and hitting everyone. And this kid had no idea what to do because he had practiced shooting trees. So Kobe just changed the game completely. And I, that's always, to me, what Belichick does. Belichick sees, oh, you've got all these guys who are set up to stop the pass. All right, I'm going to run the ball 40 times. And no one else does that. No one else is comfortable enough to go, I've got guys I trust to run the ball. Brady's gonna, not going to need 40 pass attempts. He's happy if we just win. So if you've got Belichick going, what's your weak point? I'm going to attack your weak point over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you're great at one scheme because you'll never be in that scheme because he's just going to play something that you can't play that scheme against. For me, versatility is more important now in individual players in the NFL than it's ever been. Because if you look at safety, safeties and linebackers in particular, because they're in the middle of the field, you have to be good against the run, you have to be good in zone, you have to be good in man, you have to be able to do everything. And that's why the value of defensive players is kind of lowering too, because you can't get that same impact from guys anymore. You can't be... Um, James Farrier is a great example of this. When the Steelers had their dominant run defense and all overall defense last, and 10 years ago, Dick LeBeau during their Super Bowl runs all the time, they would shut you down on early downs because James Farrier would come right up the middle as an inside linebacker. He was dominant against the run. Couldn't cover anyone, but he was dominant against the run. He would have a defensive lineman in front of him, Brett Kiesel, Casey Hampton, uh, Aaron Smith, guys who weren't good pass rushers, but they would shut you down running the ball early. So then you're in second and 10, third and 11, third and 12, and now it's easy for you to stop the pass. But now if that happens, everyone just goes, okay, you've got a guy there who can't cover. Let's just run the ball. Or let's just, sorry, let's just throw the ball. Let's spread everything out and throw the ball. So now as a linebacker, you've got to be C.J. Mosley. You've got to be able to go, who also is a free agent. Yeah. You've got to be C.J. Mosley, and you've got to be Landon Collins as a safety, where I can play in the box, I can play out in the slot, I can play in deep, I'm comfortable everywhere, and you can't attack me or exploit anything I do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who um, puts those teams together. Keen, good stuff, enjoy your trip to Boston. Any, anything else in particular this offseason we should be looking out for? Oh, I really hope Landon Collins goes to the Chargers. Just because, like I just talked about, uh, Jalen Ramsey is like, 
premier, premier, premier level of I can play anywhere and do anything. Yeah. Like he covers Travis Kelsey in the slot. He plays deep middle like Carl Thomas does. He plays cornerbacks. He plays a run. And if you put Landon Collins underneath him, you've got two guys. Who can two do Jags. Two, two the Chargers. Chargers. Okay. So if you put. Um, did I say Jalen Ramsey? Yeah. I meant Darwin James. They, okay, they yeah, both came yeah. from FSU. Okay. Uh, so if you, if you put. That all sounds ridiculous now because I'm not with Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> anyway, Landon Collins for the Chargers will be really good. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Jalen Ramsey might be leaving as well. Who knows? Well, that comes back to the way they treat their players in Jacksonville. But if you're getting rid of Jalen Ramsey and you're getting rid of Leonard Fournette and you're bringing in Nick Foles, you're not going to be a better team. Yeah, um, I would like Jalen Ramsey on my team. That would be good. Yeah, he is pretty good. Okay, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, man.